You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Uh, but First Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. This last Wednesday night, we sort of did a clearinghouse Wednesday night where, you know, our last verse-by-verse study on a Wednesday night was way back in chapter 10. And so we finished chapter 10 and got all the way through chapter 11 and sort of are now in the same place as far as our verse-by-verse study is concerned. And so this Wednesday night at 7, we'll be jumping into chapter 12 here. And we get to start talking about some really fun things. Now, a lot of times when, when people talk about the Bible or scripture and studying, it's very serious. Obviously, it's God's word. We want to take it seriously and give worth to it. We want to make sure that we're understanding it. And so Bible study is a serious pursuit in that sense. But the truth is, is there's a lot of parts of scripture that are just flat out fun. They're just entertaining and they're really exciting to learn about. And this is one of those sections, chapter 12 enters into this section where Paul's gonna be teaching the church about spiritual things. And that's the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We, we went over this last week. Paul says, now concerning spiritual things or things about the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And you can go back and listen to that teaching. But there were there were a couple of things this week that I, that I uh, experienced that helped me to return to the focus and the understanding of why it is that we want to, number one, ground ourselves in God's word, because God speaks to us through his word. He teaches us through his word. This is what he wants us to know. But then also to have the understanding and be really clear about this question in, in regard to how we pursue being a follower of Jesus, how it is that in a life that is filled with the challenge of sin still present in this world, um, you know, personal situations that test our faith in terms of God's faithfulness, uh, learning how to become more obedient to the things that we have heard from God's word. What I experienced this week was the reminder of who God is. And I think one of the things that we have to keep central and continue coming back to is being reminded of who this God is that we say we believe in. Who is God, right? And, and in scripture, he's presented to us in so many different fashions and there's so many different aspects of who he is that as we're learning, it, we can sort of lose track of the fact that there's this central character, there's this central force behind everything that we're learning, and it is God. And so as we come to this section of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, it's fun for me, and I use that word fun, because this section of scripture oftentimes creates a lot of debate. Now, there are certain personalities that don't like conflict. Amen? There's people in the room that don't like conflict. They don't want to get into an argument. They don't even want to talk about anything too serious because it gets their anxiety up. It gets their nerves up. They just don't like conflict in general. So they would rather just avoid things that are controversial. They don't want to talk about fill in the blank, you know, things that cause us to have different opinions. Well, here's the thing. In chapter 12, there's this subject that Paul's talking about, gifts of the Spirit, things of the Spirit. This is incredibly controversial within the church, within the history of the church. The debate that has gone back and forth about 
how this stuff is to be understood in the life of a Christian, how it's to be practiced in the gathering of the church. These things are controversial, but here's the thing. We know that when we start talking about spiritual things, it's the thing that as followers of Jesus actually gives us life. It's in God's spirit dwelling within us that the word says we have our life and our breath and our movement in all of the things that God has called us to as followers of Jesus. And so while it may be perhaps controversial to some and there's debate back and forth about what the meaning and interpretation is of these spiritual things, it helps us as we study these things to understand and ground ourselves in what we believe. The things that we agree upon, who God is, the nature of who God is. And so I want to remind you this morning, I spoke several weeks ago and recommended several weeks ago, things that have been tools in the church historically that have helped followers of Jesus to stay united on things that are essential to our faith. Things like catechism, right? Like things that teach us the truths of scriptures ask us questions about the nature of God and give us answers from scripture, from the Bible. And one of the things that helps us in this, and we'll talk about this more as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, are things called the creeds. These were the statements of the early Christians so that they could memorize, understand, and be united in the things that we believe as Jesus followers. Understand, remind, remind yourself of this. That in the first several centuries, first several hundred years, hundreds of years of the church, they didn't have this. They didn't have a Bible that they could go home and open up and choose different translations or get on their smartphone and have the entire history of the scriptures at their fingertips. And so what the church, early church fathers did is they would, they would condense and they would bring to the memory of the church. They would memorize these statements that were the essentials of what we believe as followers of Jesus. And the Apostles' Creed is sort of the foundational statement of those things. So let me, let me read it to you. And, and again, I've talked about this before. In the tradition of the church, this was something that the church would recite together as a form of worship and teaching in their gatherings. But here's, here's what the Apostles' Creed says. It says that we believe... We're in agreement together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. This is something we can agree upon, is the nature of God, that he has created everything, that he's the Father Almighty. We agree upon that, and there's no uh, different understanding that we, that we have of who God is. The creed continues and says, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only son of God, begotten from the father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the father, talking about the identity and nature of Jesus, that he is God. And it continues on and speaks about who Jesus is for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. In understanding who Jesus is, these are things that we all agree upon. There is nothing in that that if someone says, I don't agree with that part. I don't think Jesus is actually coming back again. I don't think he was actually born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. At that point, if someone says, I don't believe any of that statement or parts of that statement, they're not actually following the biblical Jesus at that point. This is, this is something that we agree upon. We're united in this. Regardless of what else we might believe, we're agreed upon who God is. We're agreed upon who Jesus is. And then finally, the statement of our belief in the Holy Spirit. It says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic church. Now, now, I know that that perhaps can cause a bit of consternation if that hasn't been explained to you. But Catholic, in the way that it's being used in the creed, there was no Catholic church, Roman Catholic church, at the time that this was written. The word Catholic means universal. You can take that word universal and substitute it and say, we believe in one holy universal church. And, and that's, that's an understanding that we need to have is that, again, in the early days of Christianity, the followers of Jesus, the first several hundred years, there was only one church. There was only one church that everyone was a part of if they were a follower of Jesus. And there was locations in Jerusalem and Ephesus and Colossae and Rome and all these other places, but it was one church. And it was directly linked to Jesus through his apostles. And then the guys that they taught took the same message of who Jesus is and what they agreed upon and continued sharing that news with people so that people would believe upon Jesus. Their sins would be forgiven and they'd be a part of the body of Christ. And so when it says one holy Catholic church, a lot of times we change that and say one holy Christian church just because then someone doesn't have to stop and explain that every time we say it. But now you know, Catholic simply means universal. And so the creed says we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. The creeds were used as teaching tools. They were there for us to memorize and to learn from. They, they condensed the truth of what we know in Scripture to say, here's the things that we agree upon. Now, these were not simply just words that were created by men to say, what could we give people in lieu of Scripture? No, it comes directly from Scripture. This is where we jump off and say, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in verse 4. And we'll read verses 4, 5, and 6 this morning. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Now, what we have here in verses 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those places in Scripture 
that leads us to an understanding that God is three in one. This is one of those places in Scripture that we look to and can define as Trinitarian doctrine. We see it in the very beginning of Scripture, reference to it in terms of the creation of the world. God says, let us make mankind in our image. But here's one of those places in the New Testament that when someone wants to argue with Christians and say, well, you know, there's, how can that be that God is three in one? Where, where does the Bible even say that? They never, the Bible never uses the word Trinity, this doctrine that Christians believe. It's true, it doesn't use the word Trinity, but what we have right in front of us is this example and this teaching and understanding of the apostles as they were teaching the church that God has three persons in one entity, one being. And it's, there's been all kinds of analogies trying to prove what that looks like or show what that looks like. You know, you take an egg and there's the, there's the shell and there's the yolk and then there's the white. There's, you know, people have tried to use the image of water, you know, being water and ice and steam and trying to say they're all the same substance, but they're different forms. But even that stuff, it kind of just, it misses it. There's, there's no way really to grasp this, but the best way for us to maintain our unity in this is to say exactly what Paul says to the church here. And in speaking about spiritual things and gifts to the church, which we'll study on Wednesday, Paul says there's the same spirit there's the same Lord, meaning Jesus, and it's the same God who empowers all of these gifts in everyone. They're the same. Other translations say there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one God. And so as we want to remind ourselves time and time again about who this God is that we say we believe in, who this God is that we're looking to help us when we're in the midst of trouble in our life. When we're fighting through and dealing with sin issues, when we're fighting through culture and trying to decide, like, how am I going to live my life? Is it going to be according to what the culture tells me, or is it according to what God's Word tells me? Who is this God that I say I believe in? I want to just take a little bit of time and just remind us of who this God is. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, we see all three expressions or people of God represented. God, Jesus, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. And so we'll start with God. And let's define and remind ourselves and understand who God is. To do that, I want you to mark down Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is very simply what we call the Lord's Prayer. You don't need to turn there, but just mark it down as a reference point. The Old Testament understanding of who God is was from the perspective of God being angry often. God being even uh, vengeful. God being jealous. God commanding things that were hard saying Israel's my people and then others who defy Israel are not my people. And, and, and God protecting his people by destroying other nations. This God was a, a, a serious God. He was one that was not necessarily warm and cuddly, if you will. Now, God expressed himself in loving ways throughout the Old Testament, but the people's understanding of who God was severe. 
He was a God who appeared as thunder and smoke and lightning on mountaintops, places where people said, we don't want to go see that God. Like, we get it. Whatever he tells us, we'll do, because obviously he's powerful and strong. But, but you know what, Moses, you go meet with that God, and you come back and tell us about him, and we'll do what you say. God appeared severe to his people in the Old Testament. But what Jesus does for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, is Jesus tells everyone else throughout the history of the world who this God is now that he has come. Jesus tells us to pray in this way. He says to pray, our Father. From that moment on, Jesus introduced his followers, the rest of the history of the world, to the actual name of God for you and I in the new covenant. Yes, he's Yahweh. Yes, he's Jehovah Rapha. Yes, he's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's all these other, he has so many uh, aspects and, and parts of his character and identity. We can study God himself forever and not reach the ends of it. But for us in Christ as the church, Jesus tells us what God's name and identity is for us. And it's Father. Now, for many of us to hear that God is our Father is not immediately a comforting thing because our perspective on fathers is different. Some of us were blessed with fathers who were godly men who loved our mothers and took care of us as children and were nurturing and comforting and built us up and trained us in the way that we should go and all the things that we see as, as traditional, like, man, that's what a father should be. But others amongst us have had fathers that were either completely absent from our lives or represented something that was negative, perhaps violent, or, or unloving, or abusive. And so when we say God is Father, that's his name to us, we have to understand that it's God as a Father in the absolute best sense of the word and idea. God's the greatest Father we could ever have. There's that worship song that, that, that gets sung a lot, Good, Good Father. Man, you want to know who God is as a father? He's good. He's the best kind of father. So when we think about who is this God that we believe in, a lot of times we, we think about that question and, and we can think back to very severe understandings of who God is. That There's times when God says he gets angry. There's times when God says, Moses, move out of the way. I'm going to destroy these people. And yet what we're to understand of who this God is, is that he's a father. Now, the old don't get me wrong, the Old Testament understanding of who God is is not just severe. There are moments of severity and wrath. And, but but the truth is is that God in the beginning of all things, Genesis 1:1 is also this. Take note, he's a creator. God is a father, and as such, he's a creator. To create something gives us the understanding just by virtue of that act, creation, that God is a God of love. I need you to understand that. Creation does not take place from a place of anger. Now, sometimes in our world, in our culture, we look at things that people have created, music or art or those kinds of things, and it's dark. It comes from a place of perhaps 
depression or anxiety or perhaps even anger, but in the sense of creating something that is living, the very nature of that creation says that God, who originates everything and creates everything, Genesis 1.1, desires relationship. He's a relational God. So God is our Father and the best kind of Father. God is a creator. He creates all things. And later we learn in Scripture that he creates all things for his pleasure. He created because he just simply enjoyed it. It was good when he created things. So our understanding of who this God is that we believe in is that he's a good father and that he's a creator. Now, Paul also talks about the, in the giving of gifts to the church and our understanding of who God is, that there's God, as we understand him, the father. There's also God, our Lord, who is Jesus. And we have to be reminded again and again, and this is a message that cannot ever get overstated or overtaught or overproclaimed, but it's this, that Jesus is, in his very nature, the Savior. Mark down 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, I'll read it to you. 1 John 4, 14 says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. When people say, I'm searching for God, I want to know God, right? The only way to actually know God truthfully is through Jesus, who God sent to the earth to be our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Of all the things that Jesus is, good teacher, and, and we'll see in just a minute, friend to sinners. Of all those things, when we talk about Jesus to those who don't yet believe in him, that's the thing that we have to know and represent. Remind ourselves constantly, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him as Savior. Because apart from him, the Bible tells us that we're still in our sin. And our sin is the thing that separates us from God. So Jesus being our Savior, and we believe upon him, man, that's how we know that we can know who God the Father is. I already said it, but when we stop and think about who Jesus is, number one, always remember and remind yourself that Jesus is our Savior, but remind, remind yourself of this as well. John 15, 15, this is how Jesus describes himself to his own disciples. John 15, 15. I'll begin in verse 12, actually. You can mark that down as well. John 15, 12. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Remind yourselves constantly as you're walking through this world, as you're trying to figure out how do I do all the things that I think and know I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Remind yourself 
that Jesus is a savior, that he takes sin away from your life so that you can know the Father's will for you. But remind yourself of this as well, that as you're struggling through getting rid of sin in your life and being obedient to Jesus, remind yourself that Jesus is not the guy who's standing over your shoulder watching you condemningly saying, oh, you messed up there. Oh, you messed up there. Oh, you're still not doing right there. No, Jesus is your friend. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he has revealed to us the things that God desires of us. Jesus is our savior and he is our friend. I'm not sure if there's there's a lot more to say, but, but even in that moment, if we can take that truth away with us from our time together today and walk through the rest of our day and our week and our month and our life with that reminder and understanding that Jesus is our savior and that he is our friend. He's present in our lives to do the things that friends do, encourage one another, support one another, tell each other the truth, even when it's hard, all of those things. Jesus is that for us. Take that and be encouraged and remind yourself of that constantly. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 12 there, the Apostle Paul enumerating and talking about the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, uh, God the Lord, who is Jesus our Savior. Finally, he mentions the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who perhaps is the least known of the people of God, the three persons of God. He's the one who causes controversy in the understanding of who he is and what he does in the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But I want us to know two things about the Holy Spirit that are important to live under this understanding. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Mark it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here's the first thing we have to know about the Holy Spirit, that he is an indwelling spirit. In the life of a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who believes upon Jesus Christ receives God's actual presence with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He dwells within us. That is what is to to cause us to consider our actual frame, our actual bodies, our minds, our hearts, our lips, our hands, our feet. And, And what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is that, listen, now that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, remember, you don't own your body anymore. It's not yours. Jesus purchased it at the cross with his blood. He bought your salvation. He bought your life, took it away from the possession of Satan and sin and brought it into his kingdom of righteousness and then placed the Holy Spirit of God inside of you as a seal, a sign that says, I'm the Lord's. 
And so this body of mine, this mind of mine, this tongue of mine, this heart of mine, they're simply to do the things that God says are right and good, as Jesus showed us when he was here on earth. And so the first thing to understand about the Holy Spirit is that he's an indwelling person. He lives in us. The second thing that we were to understand and take away from this understanding of who the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, in verse 26, 27, and 28. Jesus, in telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to have to go away. I don't, this is, this, uh, this is not the time of my physical kingdom, although the spiritual kingdom of God is even among you. He tells his disciples, I'm going to have to go away. Now, they, they're freaked out. They're sad about that. Jesus, we've had you with us for three years. It's awesome. We're just following you around, and you're providing for us, and you're teaching us, and you're leading us. And then Jesus says, I have to go away. And they're like, no, don't leave. And here's what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14 beginning in verse 26. I'll start in 25 just as a lead in. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. And then verse 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus promised that when he goes away, when he leaves physically from his disciples, that God would send what he called a helper. Other translations say the counselor. Other places in scripture refer to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. But even in just that understanding of the helper, it helps us to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the doctrine and teaching of who God the Holy Spirit is, isn't supposed to cause us confusion isn't supposed to cause us to have debates about what his role is in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit is here to be a helper for us. He's here to remind us of all of the things that Jesus taught when he was on earth. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so when we understand that and remind ourselves who this God is, that he's this loving good father who created everything for his pleasure, that his son Jesus who came to earth to save us from our sins and be our friend, the third part of that is that he also reveals himself to us in this living, indwelling way as God's spirit in us to help us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And the fun part then begins to be the study of how it is that he helps us. And that's what we'll get into on Wednesday night in chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all the ways that the Holy Spirit is present in the life of a believer of Jesus Christ to help them. And he does that through, Paul will explain, giving gifts to the church, giving gifts to individual followers of Christ. And here's what we'll take note of. Follow with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and this is the last thing we'll look at this morning. It says, to each, meaning to each member of the church, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Mark this, underline these four words, and understand that this is part and parcel to the helping of the Holy Spirit. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is so that I get blessed and that good things happen to me in the church and good things happen to you and you and you so that we can encourage one another, so that the Holy Spirit can help us and to remind us of all the things that Jesus said. And so I want that to be something that we walk away from today with, this reminder and understanding of who God is, good, loving Father, creator of everything because it pleases him. Jesus, who's our Savior and our friend, and the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, lives in us, and helps us to follow after Jesus and to remind us of those things that Jesus taught us. And then to remember this and walk away and be encouraged in this, that as we know this God, as he's revealed to us, that we get to enjoy what he's given to us. That as we study through the scriptures, it's not with this heavy intellectual sense of, oh, we're, we're really you know, serious about this. We are. We take it seriously. It's the most important thing in the entire world is understanding who God is, knowing his word, believing it, living it, but understand that it is fun. It's one of the greatest joys that we could ever have is the fact that this God who has created everything makes himself known to us. Amen?